Support the Love Thy Neighbor podcast network at anchor.fm slash Anthony dash Wilson slash support. Again, anchor.fm slash Anthony dash Wilson slash support. If you'd like to give a one-time gift, go to dollar sign A Wilson 2273 on your cash app. God bless you. God bless you and welcome to the Love Thy Neighbor podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Wilson. And today on Love Thy Neighbor, we are going to dive into a question that most people never thought to ask. The question is, what does the Bible actually say about Lucifer? Who is he? Who was he? And why should we be concerned with him? Today on Love Thy Neighbor, we're going to explore, ask, and answer the question, what does the Bible actually say about Lucifer? We'll be right back after these messages. God bless you and welcome back to the Love Thy Neighbor podcast. I'm your host again, uh, Anthony Wilson. And today we're exploring a very interesting subject. Um, first of all, I want to thank you so much uh, for listening. I want to thank you so much uh, for those of you that are praying for us, that are supporting us, uh, whether it's financially or prayerfully. Um, it is a blessing to us. We are uh, growing uh, this particular podcast at this particular time. We are expanding. The Lord is taking this this word, this good teaching, these messages um, out to uh, people far and wide. And so again, thank you very, very much uh, for your help and your support. Those of you that are supporting us financially, thank you so much. We're full-time ministry. So this is what we do. We study the word, we teach the word in order to help people love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then turn around and love their neighbor as themselves, according to what the scripture says. And so today, we are diving deep. We're diving deep. And we're going to explore a, a question that most people don't think needs to be asked. But because we are um, in a time, in a season where most people are biblically illiterate, they really don't know what the Bible says about anything. Um, they hardly uh, even pay attention to the Bible. They're more focused on YouTube videos and Facebook videos and hearing what someone else has to say instead of actually studying the word. And so what I've been doing is I've been going back and trying to take people through, first of all, how to study the word. Number two, um, how to investigate things so that we can have the right interpretation, the right answer. <clears throat> My favorite word right now from Ephesians chapter five um, and verse uh, 15 is to walk circumspectly. A lot of people have never heard of that word. It's a weird word, but circumspectly means to be exact. It means to investigate. Um, it means to probe until you get the proper understanding, the exact meaning. It means to be precise. Um, I liken it to the Bereans in um, Acts chapter 17, 
when the apostle Paul came preaching the gospel in, in uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 10, and they heard the word in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says that these Bereans were fair, more fair-minded than the other people. And they listened to Paul eagerly, but they also said to Paul that we're going to search the scriptures daily to find out if what you're saying is so. And that's my prayer is that even as you are listening to this podcast, that you are following along with me in scripture, that you're pulling out your Strong's Concordance, that you're looking into your Bible dictionary, that you're researching the things that I'm saying so that you can find out if these things are so. And so today we're going to look into a very ominous figure, a very popular fig figure, almost mythical in proportions. Uh, this individual named Lucifer. Now, Lucifer, um, the term Lucifer only appears uh, once in the Bible, and it's not actually in all the Bible translations because um, originally it wasn't a name. It was more of uh, a description. And so the word Lucifer in the Hebrew um for you Strong's Concordance users, it's 1966. It is the word uh, Haleo. Haleo. And the usage for this word is the morning star. Um, it's defined as the shining one. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter four, 14, sorry, Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, it is literally translated as the day star, as the day star. Now, according to uh, history, um, Lucifer, uh, the Latin translation followed by the King James of the Hebrew word day star in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, uh, where the word is used as a title for the king of Babylon, um, who exalted himself as a god. The prophet taunted the king by calling him the son of the dawn. And in, in the NIV and the NASB, it says the son of the dawn, um, a play on the Hebrew term that could refer to a pagan God, but normally indicates that the light uh, that appears briefly before dawn and later traditionally is associated with evil. But the Bible never actually uses this term for evil. Um, what's interesting about this, uh, Lucifer, is if we read in context, we find out that Lucifer is. Um, who is the king of Babylon, uh, was a very wicked king, a very evil king uh, in the sense of how he treated the people. In Isaiah chapter 14, beginning at verse 3, here's what it says. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord, uh, in the day that the Lord gives you rest from your sorrows and from your fear and the hard bondage in which you were made to serve that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say how the oppressor has ceased the golden city ceased the Lord has broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers he who struck the people in wrath with continual stroke he who ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and no one hinders the whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. Indeed, the cypress tree rejoices over you and the cedars of Lebanon. 
saying, since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us. Hell beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from the thrones and all the kings of the nations. They all shall speak and say to you, have you also become weak as we? Have you become like us? You prompt, your prompt is brought down to Sheol and the sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spread under you and the worms cover you. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nation. And so here, a proverb is taken up against the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon here, obviously a very wicked individual. This proverb is a poem or a maxim. Uh, it's, it's not an allegory. Some people have said that this is an allegory, but it's not an allegory. It is an utterance that the Lord given. It's a prophecy that the Lord wants um, Isaiah to speak as it relates to the king of Babylon. So the first thing we see here is that this this passage is written uh, about a king, a wicked king um, over Babylon. You see the terms hell and Sheol both used. And these words are synonymous with Hades, the grave, the pit. Um, in your Strong's Concordance, this is 7585, the world of the dead. Um, it's important that we know uh, that this is not in the sense of um, most people talk about hell as this place where the devil roams. But hell is the grave. Hell is the place of the dead. And that's why he says uh, in verse nine, hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming and stirs up the dead for you and all the chief ones of the earth. And so he's giving this picture. Now, remember, this is poetic. Um, he's writing this in a way uh, that is to paint a picture. In verse 12, where he says, how are you fallen from heaven? O Lucifer, son of the morning, how uh, you are cut down to the ground. You who has weakened the nation. He said, for you said in your heart, I will ascend into the heavens and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest side of the north. Obviously, this individual had lofty ideas. Uh, he thought that he was a God. He thought that he could exalt himself high above the stars. And he just was really, really full of himself. We pick it up in verse 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will make, I will be like the most high. And so he wants to be like the most high God. Uh, very interesting. He said, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms? And so we see here, number one, he's the king of Babylon. But number two, Lucifer is a man. You say, whoa, wait a minute. Why is he saying all these things about him? Remember, this is poetry. The way he's prophesying this, he it's very colorful. It's very picturesque. 
but he is talking about a man. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 16. Let me read it again. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble? This is a significant discovery because all the years that people have told me that Lucifer was a fallen angel, that he was even the devil, he was Satan, and that this is a picture of Satan's fall from heaven. And in heaven, his name was Lucifer before he became Satan. But that's not true. This passage is written to the king or written about the king of Babylon, who is a man. And so what's interesting here is that I looked up the term king um, because I wanted to make sure that maybe there was a hidden meaning with this king and the word king 4428 in your Strong's concordance, Malek uh, is king or royal. And this is never used for angels or angelic beings. This is never used for angels and angel or angelic beings. And somebody brought up to me, well, wait a minute, in Revelations, uh, Apollyon, Abaddon was called a king. Uh, no, if you look it up in Revelations chapter 9 and verse 11, it says clearly that he was as a king over uh, these locusts that were devouring the earth. He wasn't a king. He was as a king. And there's that simile. It's just like in first Peter chapter five and verse eight, where the devil is as a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion, but he is as a roaring lion. Are you hearing me? And so this term king and its lowercase means that we're talking about an earthly king. If it were uppercase, it would be talking about God, never about angelic beings. So we know for sure that this is an earthly king. Number two, we know that it is a man because it is clear in verse 16. Is this not the man who made the earth tremble and who shook the kingdoms? Let's read on verse 17, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners, all the kings of the nation. All of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who are slain or thrust through with a sword. You will go down to the stones of the pit like the corpse trodden underfoot. Here is another indication that we're talking about an earthly king, because the tradition is that all the kings uh, were laid in their own tombs. They had a resting place for just the kings of the nation. Verse 18, all the kings of the nation, all of them sleep in glory, every one of them in his own house. And so that you're supposed to have a specific place where the kings are laid. He says, you were so wicked and so horrible that you're not even going to be able to lay there. We're not going to put you to rest there. We're going to 
put you in an open grave where it looks like somebody just stabbed you and killed you and left you for dead. We're not even going to bury you. We're not even going to give you the burial rites. We're not going to give you a proper funeral. You're going to be left out there in the middle of, the, of a battlefield uh, to look horrible so that people can look on you and say, wow, just walk over him, stomp over him um, as a dead body just sitting in the middle of the ground. Verse 20, look at what it says. You will not be joined with them in burial. Clearly, if this was Satan, the devil, we wouldn't be talking about him being buried in the tomb with the other kings or in the way that the other kings are buried. So this is obvious that we're talking about a human being here. Let's read on. Because you have destroyed the lands and slain your people, the brood of evildoers shall never be named. He says, prepare the slaughter for his children because the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. He says here that even the children of this king are going to be cut off because if they don't, they're going to rise up and repeat what their father has done. So number one, Lucifer is a man. Number two, Lucifer was a wicked king, an earthly king. Number three, he was humbled. He was to be humbled by God. This is a prophetic word that he would be humbled by God. Number four, his children and his descendants will be punished for his evil work. Number five, he will not be honored as a king, but he will be treated as someone who just died in battle and walked over and, and, and left to be trodden underfoot. Number three or number number five, sorry. Um, this term king means earthly king. It is never used for an angelic being. If it is lowercase, it is used for an earthly king. If it is uppercase, it's used for God or Jesus. Um, when we look at the rest of Isaiah chapter 14, we see a series of uh, prophecies against various nations. So the king of Babylon has been prophesied against. Next, Babylon itself will receive a prophetic word. Then Assyria will receive a prophetic word. Then Philistia will receive a prophetic word. And so forth and so on. And you go into the next few chapters. He's prophesying against all of those who have come against Israel and oppressed them and done wickedness to them. As we see, number one, when we let the Bible speak for itself. It's almost anticlimactic. We were expecting him to be the boogeyman. But he's just another man who thought of himself as more than a man because of his power, much like Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar saw himself as a god, as a deity and built a statue and made people worship this statue. And he played the music and everybody's supposed to bow down and worship and they're supposed to, you know, honor him and and, 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 and bow down to him. Uh, in those days, a lot of earthly kings saw themselves as deities, as um, people who were to be worshipped. Well, Lucifer or 
the shining one, the day star, is just another king who thought of himself too highly. But some would say, well, wait a minute. I thought it said about a string instrument because one of the, uh, I would say, myths about Lucifer is that Lucifer um, was the leader of the choir in heaven. Um, Some people even say that uh, Lucifer created music, that music came from him. And they cite verse um, 11. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol and the sound of your stringed instruments. The maggot is spread under you and the worms cover you. Now, simply in context, um, all of the kings had musicians who played for them. All of the kings had musicians that would play when they announced uh, their new decrees or what have you. And so music did go along with kings. As a matter of fact, we know that David, before he was king, would go and play the harp for King Saul. This was kind of a normal thing for kings to have musicians. But some say, well, wait a minute. That's not the passage I was thinking about. I thought um, that he that 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 Lucifer uh, was uh, the devil because of Ezekiel. Oh, so let's take a look. Let's take a look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28 is another place where we see uh, people have uh, created this fable. And you say, what, what's a fable? Well, if you look up the word fable um, in your Strong's Concordance in the Greek, it is 3454. And it is a false account posing as the truth. Uh, this word fable literally means a fabrication which subverts what is actually true, sometimes even replaces the truth. And we're dealing with uh, a fable here. Uh, the Greek word is mythos, where we get our word myth or mythology. And so when we look at Ezekiel chapter 28 and we do the same thing that we did uh, for Isaiah chapter 14, what happens is we'll come to the same conclusion that although this prophetic utterance is very elaborate and it is very colorful and it is very powerful in its imagery, we're still only talking about a man. Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning at verse one, it says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because you because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am a God and sit in the seat of gods and in the midst of the sea. Yet you are a man and not a God, though you set your heart as the heart of a God. So we see right away this prince of Tyree. He thinks that he's a God, but he's just a man. The term prince, a lot of people will argue over this term prince um, because they believe that the term prince can also mean an angelic being. Um, It can mean uh, some type of uh, uh, angel or angelic being. Well, in my study, uh, this term uh, used for an angel is only used when you hear the term prince and it's 8269 
in your Strong's Concordance. Um, it's defined as a chieftain, a chief, a ruler, an official, um, a prince. The only time it is ever used in the Bible, especially the Hebrew Bible, for an angel is in the book of Daniel. Now, I've done a study through Daniel, and this was a very interesting observation. And I'm going to go into depth in another podcast about Daniel and this ominous figure called the Prince of Persia. But in Daniel chapter 10, there are four occurrences of an angel being referred to as a prince. And this patron angel, this term is only used in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, uh, Daniel chapter 10, verse 20, Daniel chapter 10, verse 21, and Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. And it is used for Michael, the prince over Israel. It is also used for the prince of the kingdom of Persia and the prince of Greece. And the term here is a patron angel, or we would call a guardian angel. This is the only place in scripture and literally in your Strong's Concordance, it is going to say only in Daniel. And so we cannot use the terminology of prince here to mean an angel in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 2. Son of man, say to the prince of Tyree, thus saith the Lord. He's not talking about an angel because this word for patron angel is only used in the book of Daniel. And that's possibly because the book of Daniel is written partially in Aramaic and not Hebrew. But he goes on to say uh, in verse two, because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am a God and sit in the seat of gods in the midst of the sea. Yet you are a man and not a God. And though you set your heart as a God, he says, you're a man. We drop down to verse 11. Now, this is where people really get mixed up because this imagery, some of the things that are going to be said here are going to be um, hard to see as referring to a man. But we're going to use the same rules as we use with the king of Babylon. We have to look at this from the perspective of the writer, not from our perspective. And so in Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning at verse 11, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus saith the Lord God. Now watch this. The king of Tyre in your Bible, the king of Tyre is lowercase. It is the same word. Melech. Um, Melech. 4428 in your Strong's Concordance, and it means king or royalty. It is never used for angels or angelic beings, period. So this individual with a lowercase k is a human king. Man, anticlimactic, because when we read what is said here, there is all kind of images that pop into our head. 
but we have to remember what we're reading. He says, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus saith the Lord God, You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. This was interesting when I read you were in Eden. Um, he, the garden of God, right? Uh, every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, diamonds, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and your pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Now watch this. This is where it really gets crazy. You were the anointed cherub, cherub who covers. I establish you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfected in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Watch this, verse 16. All of this imagery that makes me see this as some kind of powerful being that cannot be human. Even though I read verse 12, which is said the king of Tyree, and I researched the word, I did my uh, due diligence, and the word is referring to an earthly king. By the time I get down to verse 16, my mind is changed again because he uses the term cherub, the anointed one, the Eden, the garden of God, the mountain of God. But in verse 16, I'm brought back to earth again. Look at what it says. By the abundance of your trading, you will become filled with violence within and you sinned. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the devil does not need to trade and make money, not earthly money. If that was the devil's sin, was that he was making too much money, he was trading and he was becoming too rich, then uh, we, we've got a problem. Houston, we have a problem because that wasn't the devil's sin. Look at verse, uh, we're still in verse 16. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground, and I lay you before kings, that they may gaze at you. You defile the sanctuaries by the multitudes of your iniquity by the iniquity of your trading. Now, why is this trading iniquity? And when I looked up this word trading, it actually is what it is. It means to move merchandise. It means uh, to be a merchant. If this is the devil, then why does he have earthly merchandise? And why is he moving merchandise in an earthly way? Therefore, I brought you from the fire of your midst. It devoured you. And I turned you to ash upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. Wait a minute. All who knew you among the people. Again, this is a person who is known by other people. Uh, we're astonished. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. He picks up in verse 20. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face towards Sidon and prophesy against her. So again, just like in Isaiah, there is a series of prophecies towards nations and their leaders. 
not towards angelic beings, not towards the devil who has fallen from heaven. For some of you listening to this, this is very hard to swallow. Even as I'm reading it and pointing it out to you, your mind is telling me, telling you, no, he's wrong. I know that's the devil. But what you're dealing with is you're dealing with overcoming tradition and history and the customs of men that you never even thought to question what people were saying. You just accepted it. And we can't do that anymore. We've got to be willing to exegete the passage properly. Number one, letting the passage speak for itself. One of the things that I've done um, as a practice is that even if I think I know what the passage means, I approach it as if I never read it before. I look up the words to make sure I understand what they mean. Even words that are obvious, like king. Why would you look up the word king? Don't you know what that means? I think I do, but what if I don't? And when we begin to look up these words, the Strong's Concordance is a lifesaver because what it does is, number two, it allows us to understand the author's in original intent, what the author means, not what we, we mean. This weekend in my sermon uh, called The Walk, I showed what the Webster's Dictionary defines as love and how totally different the Bible defines love. So often we're defining things off of our 21st century definition and not off of the original meaning that the writer intended. And so we come up with um, explanations and interpretations of the Bible that don't fit the original context. So number one, We've got to let the Bible speak for itself. Number two, we've got to seek out what the author's original intention was for what he's saying. Number three, we've got to read it in context. What do I mean? When you read Ezekiel chapter 28, it starts off telling you who he's talking to. But somewhere in the middle of it, because the imagery changes and the words begin to say things that seem lofty, we forget the context that these words are in. We forget that there is a before and after this verse. We can't just take these verses out of their context and say, because of these verses, he's talking about this or he's talking about that. It's the same thing that people did in Isaiah chapter 14. They grab one verse and they define the entire context by that verse. They didn't define the verse by the context. Oh, I'm preaching in here. We have to define the verse by the context. We cannot define the context by this verse. You have to see if the whole thing agrees, not, well, this part means this. You know, one guy, uh, when I was reading through Ezekiel chapter 28, he says, well, he's talking about different people. So see how he switches from the heavens to the earth, to the heavens, to the earth. And that's not happening there. Ezekiel is speaking what God has said to him. He's not switching his perspective from heaven to earth, from heaven to earth. Uh, I'm trying to tell you, Lucifer was not the devil's name when he was in heaven. The devil has always been the devil. He has always been Satan. We can look all the way back to Job, uh, where Satan was presenting himself among the, 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 the sons of God. He was walking to and fro. He didn't change his name in Isaiah. He didn't change his name in Ezekiel to the prince of Tyree. He wasn't hiding in plain sight. 
that idea comes from the idea that um, there are kings on the earth that are actually demonic uh, entities, that they're angels. And that's not necessarily true. And we'll talk about that more when I break down who the Prince of Persia is and how this patron, this patron angel uh, is residing as a steward over a particular city and how it's only talked about in one place in the Bible, nowhere else. And so by reading it in its context, we're going to get a deep understanding of that. So who is Lucifer? Number one, Lucifer was the king of Babylon. Number two, Lucifer was a wicked king who um, oppressed his people, oppressed Israel. Number three, Lucifer was a man. Number four, Lucifer was humbled by God. Number five, his children and his descendants were punished uh, because of his wickedness so that they would not continue his wickedness. Number six, as a point of reference, the word king, 4428 in your Strong's Concordance, Melech, it means king or royal. It is never used for an angelic being. So if this is talking about the king of Babylon, it is not talking about an angelic being. Finally, our conclusion, Lucifer was a wicked king, but somewhere outside of the biblical text, history began to uh, create a mythological figure which combined Satan and this person Lucifer with the king of Tyre to create a mythical being, a false account posing as the truth, a fabrication which subverts and sometimes even replaces the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been hoodwinked, bamboozled, run amok. We've got to get back to reading the Bible for ourselves. For some of you, you're going to turn this off and say, I don't believe him. I'm going to go with my tradition. I'm going to go with what people have told me. Do your research. You're actually going to find out that more people have debunked this than you even know. You're going to find out that no real scholar actually believes that Lucifer the king of Tyre and Satan are all the same person. I want you to really go back to studying your word. I pray that this helps you. I pray that this strengthens you and encourages you. Share this with somebody who needs to know this information. Go through the study. Check out my references. Be a Berean. Check me out. Don't just believe what I say. Check out the references yourself. I pray that this helps you and God bless you. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Thank you for listening to the Love Thy Neighbor podcast. Till next time, we'll see you soon.